all, and welcome to another edition of the Mets Maniacs Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Wilkes, along with co-host Mike Bresnak. Uh, it's been a minute. We missed you guys. This is episode three of season two here. We're just prepping for the launch of the 2021 season in which you can expect regularly scheduled content. I'll get into that a little later in this intro here. We have a few housekeeping items to cover. All very exciting. First and foremost, I want to say I'm proud and excited to announce a partnership with Metsmerized Online. Uh, you can find our podcast now through the digital content section at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Uh, you should go and check them out if you haven't been already. They have great content over there, great writers that produce uh, very high quality coverage of the Mets. Uh, they have a podcast section where you can find us and Locked On Mets. Uh, excuse me, Locked On Mets. That's another great podcast run by Ronald Finkelstein. You should check it out. Uh, great content pushing out over there as well. So we're very excited to be a part of the Metsmerized online team. You should be able to find this episode and all upcoming for the foreseeable future on Metsmerized as well. So with that being said, I'd just like to take a brief moment here to say thank you to all our supporters from the beginning when we first launched back in June 2020. Uh, truly, without you guys, we wouldn't be here. So uh, I know me and Mike really do appreciate the support from the early fans, any new ones who have just come on. We're excited to have you, and we're excited for the journey as Mets fans together for what is shaping up to be a successful 2021 season. So we'll keep you covered, and we'll engage with fans. And true to that last statement, uh, Mike and I have been working diligently the past couple of weeks to send out kind of an off-season grading rubric to different Mets fans that we've uh, had the joy of coming across in our lives. So we asked some different questions, uh, ranging from rating the Mets offseason on a letter grade scale to biggest impact X-factor players uh, to strengths and weaknesses of the team, as well as their predictions for the Mets uh, and the NL East going in here to the 2020-2021 MLB season. So a lot of good stuff up ahead. Uh, our first guest is Joe Okio Grosso. You might remember Joe from an earlier episode we shot in season one uh, in remembrance of Tom Seaver, the franchise. He came on and, as always, gave great quality content to cover Tom, and uh, he didn't fail us this time around. The guy knows as much about the Mets as anybody, plus sprinkle a little more on top. Uh, he's a great guest to have. Uh, definitely excited to share this episode with you guys, and he'll definitely be on again in the future. That being said, with Mets Marais 2, we'll be following a new schedule here for the 2021 season, um, where we'll be releasing new episodes Every Monday and Friday, very early in the morning, I want to catch you guys whenever you're going through your morning commute, whatever that looks like now. Uh, so we're going to be on a consistent schedule to try to recap series as best we can. That being said, we'll still drop some surprise episodes, emergency podcasts uh, as needed, uh, or whenever we're feeling a bit maniacal. So again, uh, thanks to everybody who's been listening so far. We really do appreciate your support. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, really wherever you listen to podcasts, what would really help is if you follow us on Spotify or go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. And if you're really feeling great, you can give us a review. So thanks so much, guys. Hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. After Joe O, you can expect uh, a couple more episodes. We're still working on the exact numbers, but we at least have four more in the pipeline from other fans uh, whose takes we want to share with you. That being said, we're going to give you guys a brief ad message, and we'll get right into the content. Okay, see you in a bit. 
Davis. Hey, Joe. How you doing? How are you? Good, man. This is Mike. Hey, Joe. How are you? Mike, my co-host. Last time I saw you, Tyler, you were like bringing me breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know. I remember the days when uh, you were, he coached my uh, older brother's uh, baseball team, actually. And you guys had rice checks uh, yeah. in the dugout because he hit a homer and that was going around. That that frenzy, man. You got to keep that. Well, super- he hit a home run. I said, like, what would you have for breakfast? And he goes, rice checks. And that was yeah. the game for the rest of the season. I remember uh, uh, Scavina uh, eating like a handful of rice checks going up and hitting a home run off the top of the uh, complex, the yellow bar, and then it bounced yeah. over. I was eating rice checks every morning from then on out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if, if you're ready to get started here, I'd like to just run down some of the points you've made um, just to kind of go over your grades for the Mets offseason and then predictions on how you think we align in at least uh, projections for that uh, and anything else in between you want to share. So I think starting for the uh, letter grade for the Mets offseason, you gave a B plus, uh, which I think is pretty fair. Uh, a lot of what we've been seeing so far has kind of been in that, you know, A to uh, B plus range. I see a uh, biggest improvement. What was a question I asked here too. And um, obviously new ownership is just a relief uh, saying the least coming from the Will Ponds to Cohen. That's night and day. Um, you give an interesting answer. I think a lot of people talk about, you know, new acquisitions for the Mets, but I think it's part of too, is your longer tenure, if you will, as a Mets fan that you've kind of seen uh, so much of the Mets in the background of how they operate from them going to a team that wasn't really committed to technology in the way you said, maybe some low budget teams uh, were, cause that's kind of out of necessity. They were driven. The only way they could compete at a high level uh, was to be more statistically involved And the Mets. obviously added a bigger department here. They were lacking. Maybe you'd go into that uh, as well as other improvements you've seen, of course, for the off season. Sure. And, uh, and, and thanks for having me. Um, yeah. You know, I, you know, Moneyball is now like 20 years old and, you know, and it just that whole thing about getting on base and making the pitchers work. And I just love that book about, you know, you got the starting pitcher, you know, the, if you're, if you're facing someone like Max Scherzer, you want to get him out of there in five innings, you know, get him up to 110 pitcher pitches and get him out of there. And, and well, who's the weakest pitchers on the team? It's the middle relievers, right? Uh, and not so much anymore, but just a few years ago, it used to be like, you know, Jacob DeGrom type player and a lights out all-star closer. So you want to get your runs in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings on those mediocre guys that are trying to, you know, keep the lead and, you know, working the pitcher. So all that math made a lot of sense to me when Moneyball first came out, especially the Oakland A's with, you know, no budget at all. And they're competitive every single year, kind of like the Devil Rays now and so forth. And, um, and the Mets were always like way behind that. The Mets were always like, oh, you know, old man scouting. I could tell by my eye that he's going to be good and all this stuff and not doing like eye tests, you know, literally eye test exam. And, you know, as opposed to just like, you know, physicals. And so I'm glad that they, you know, maybe the Wilpons didn't believe in it. Maybe the Wilpons didn't want to hire, you know, six guys for 200 grand a year, you know, some like nerds from like some crazy number crunching nerds. But I mean, that's not a lot of money when you consider like, you know, you have a hundred fifty million dollar payroll, you right. know, and have and some, it, some number crunches. Do whatever you do, whatever you can, you know, to improve the team. And also, too, I think a, a major point of, yeah, you spend a little extra money to get these guys on your staff. But in the long run, it should save you money because you get some guy who's truly undervalued. 
right? Mm-hmm. Bring him on the team. And, mm-hmm. and I'd also say, you know, kind of ironic, it didn't really work out for Billy Bean, although that was a different story, obviously, like he was very, very talented early on, but uh, it's just funny to see how, you know, he was a driving force behind that on the Oakland A's. Obviously starting. Yeah. That's, yeah. Because like he, your- knew, he knew he, he wouldn't have drafted himself, even yeah. though he was like a physical specimen and he was, you know, he's just nervous. You know, right. and the scouts were like, he said in the book, in the early on in the book, he's like, the scouts would come, they don't even look. They're like, yeah, he's first round pick. Yeah. Right. They weren't mm-hmm. even looking for flaws when he had his bat and he was banging it against the, the dugout, you know, like a baby, 17 years old. And they didn't care. They still, they, you know, they don't want to, you know, get in trouble for not saying pick him. And mm-hmm. he ended up being a bust. I like what you uh, I like what you mentioned about the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning because I think that still holds true, especially with those new rules where it's a three batter minimum. You saw you saw a lot in the uh, early on in this decade, a lot of pitchers being that lefty specialist come in for one batter type thing, and the rule is only two or three years old now, so those pitchers still aren't phased out of this game. So yeah, you'll bring on an Oliver Perez uh, for lack of a better name uh, to face that lefty, and then he's got to face two more guys after that. So I I really like what you kind of be at that point. I think it's definitely overlooked. Uh, and then they bring in that kid from a, uh, not kid, that analyst from the Dodgers, Ben Zalmer, who was kind of the same thing. He was the big analytics chief for the Dodgers. He got a pay grade and I think a title grade too when he came over to the Mets. But that's, I, I agree. It's one of those underrated kind of moves that the Mets made. It's why Steve Cohen's the way he is. I mean, he's got all these analysts at uh, 0.72. So I'm, sh- I'm sure he's just kind of practicing what he preaches with the Mets. Absolutely. He's always looking for an edge in that world, you know, yeah. to make a billions of dollars in that world, you have to look for an edge. So I'm so excited that he's going to be doing this. Yeah. It's, it's good to see him more uh, like committed and I think uh, accountable in the will ponds, you know, so uh, uh, I'm definitely excited. If I had 10% of his money, I would never show up for work again. Screw that. How much more money could I make? Let me focus on the bets. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I totally feel you. Uh, maybe we'll be there one day with Mets Maniacs. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe we get Frazier on, we'll be halfway there. No, um, but uh, yeah, I, I love that improvement. I think that's uh, definitely a good take. Um, I think overall for the offseason, too, a uh, good point you had was between McCann and Real Muto. And something that we've kind of talked about is at the outset of the offseason with Cohen in at the helm, we thought we'd get one of the three big names, right? Mm-hmm. We thought we'd get Springer. Romuto or Bauer, or maybe even a combination of two, or maybe even all three. We got a little overzealous uh, when things first started, but uh, you know, you talk about how um, you know McCann was a good move, saving the Mets money. And although, of course, he's not Romuto, Romuto uh, is best catcher in the game, uh, can do it all. But uh, McCann can get a lot of what Romuto's. He, he's definitely a big upgrade from Ramos. So uh, you know, maybe we can start there and kind of your take on the Mets not able to get Springer. Uh, or Bauer for, for the top free agents? Yeah, I, I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. Um, because like I said, McCann could be 80% of Rio Muta, right? right? 80% at like 30 cents on the dollar. You know, I mean, he's making 10 million a year and Rio Muta is making 25 or whatever, maybe more. And, you know, and when you have all those eggs in one basket, you know, he, he's out with a short, sore uh, shoulder for six weeks. That's, a, that's very expensive. You know, and I mean, you need a guy who could work the pitcher pitches and hit. He's, he looks like he can hit. Um, you know, I call him McCannon. What's his name? One of his uh, one of his pitches used to call him McCannon down the second. And, um, you know, you're never going to have a lights out catcher anymore. Like you're not going to have like, you know, like no one even dares run on him because the fast guys are going to run. The pitchers, you know, aren't great at holding people on and people are going to steal their bases. So. 
I'd rather we have a good framer, you know, um, uh, catching the ball and good with the staff because that's huge. You know, as a cat, as a former catcher, you know, telling the pitcher, you know, throw the change up. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Come on, you could do it. I mean, that can be all the difference in the world. That one pitch can save the game. And that's the pitcher, you know, having, you know, confidence and take charge and, and you know, being serious, saying, given that that pitcher, you know, throw this pitch now, you can do this. Um, versus, you know, again, I, I'm sure JT Rumontos, it might even be better than McCann at that too. Um, but that's expensive for a catcher, man. One foul ball off the finger and all that money's down the drain. Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times? I mean, this is uh, obviously like going to a different player, but how many times did Darno get injured? I mean, you know, it, it, and we had to spot with somebody else. But I think the upgrade, too, from Ramos, uh, what I was talking to Mike about, I can't tell you how many times I was frustrated. We actually lost games last year from either Ramos's inability to block balls. Like how many times did you see Ramos try to uh, backhand a ball instead of putting his body in front of it, right? Or he was unable to get a tag in from the outfield for an assist where we should have gotten the out, but, you know, he was just so slow to tag to turn his yeah. body as like a, uh, you know, a young 30-year-old. And I think McCann steps up, like you said, not only there is he quicker, I think maybe he has a, a better work ethic there too, but um, he's also definitely a leader. And I think, uh, that, you know, the pitching staff will take note I know that some pitchers like Syndergaard were more outspoken uh, in, in their, I guess we'll call it dislike of Ramos. Uh, but I think McCann will do a better job framing. I think he's more, um, I don't know if I want to say serious, but I think um, he's just a better catcher there defensively, yeah, any way you want to word. Yeah. Committed, yeah. He's committed to being better every day, every game. Where it yeah. seems like uh, the other guy was just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm a pretty good hitter. <laughs> yeah yeah and that's that's just not going to work especially when you have a pitching staff the caliber of ours I think you you really do need a, a catcher that's up to par so I'm, I'm happy we I think we have that I think another thing was uh, one of the Mets top three prospects is a catcher and he's probably three four years away right now yep. so I think it's much more stomachable to kind of slate him over McCann who's making 10 million as opposed to Real Muto who's making 25 million being a bench player so yep. I, I think Real Muto might have stunted uh, Alvarez's growth Definitely. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. Um, but that being said, too, you know, obviously um, we weren't able to get Springer. Uh, we weren't able to get Bauer. Uh, do you have takes there on the Mets current um, you know, situation in center field and then also uh, with starting pitching and, and, and missing on Trevor? Well, Springer would have been nice. You know, I thought it was going to happen because he's a Connecticut guy, too, you know, local. Right. Um, and I made him a decent offer, you know, and um, but. Again, I mean, but Francisco Lindor is awesome. I mean, yeah. that guy is just, he's going to be great. And, I, you know, it also, like, confuses me. It's like, you know, do you sign Lindor? Let, let him play out the year, see if you like each other before you commit, you know, $300 million to a guy. Yeah, but, like I, I said like, earlier, that, you know, you're getting to see him. You've seen him for two weeks already, right? When you sign a free agent, like Rio Molto or Springer, you don't know anything. Right. You don't you don't know if you maybe had a conversation with them, but, you, you know, you're, you're committing 250, 300 million dollars to those types of players or, you know, Garrett Cole. You don't know who he is. You, you, you look at him, you see his body of work. So when people say, well, do you really want to sign Lindor until you like let him play the whole year, see if it's a good fit? I mean, people were willing to sign him next year as a totally free agent. So, like, you know, even every day that goes by, you know, you start, you know, you get to know the guy. And I think they're falling in love with him. You know, I already have, you know, that the Eddie yeah, Murphy jacket he wore and, and all that. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's cool. He, he reminds me of Jose Reyes, except bigger, yeah. stronger, you know. And yeah. uh, and I'm, I mean, I'd, I'd sign him and Conforto, you know, tomorrow. 
Yeah, no, I know. I think that's really exciting. I think uh, that is something like we didn't see coming in the offseason. Like I said, those three top agents, really the marquee guys we were looking at. But, um, you know, for what we gave up to, um, it was incredible. And then you can't discount Carrasco. You know, we had a need for starting pitching and we filled it with a guy who's uh, can slot right up there with DeGrom Stroman. And then when Syndergaard returns, I mean, that's a that's a deadly four. And then Peterson's uh, I know he's only pitched once in spring training, but look at the end of last year, too. I think there's no reason to believe he can't continue that success and then build off it. To what I've been saying, I think he could be a 3A pitcher and then slotting in as a lefty, too. I think um, I'm pretty happy uh, with not only that starting five. Maybe we do like a six man. But then we also have guys like Yamamoto, uh, uh, Tejuan Walker, who can yeah, come Walker, up, maybe Walker surprise you. Awesome. You know, it could be awesome. Yeah, it's a smart strategic signing. Again, not flashy. I think going to make headlines, not what maybe a lot of fans wanted going in, but nonetheless could be a huge asset to the Mets uh, going on a stretch run or even like you can't have too much depth in starting pitching. You know, as we saw with guys like, you know, like we talked about, like Oswald making a spot start for the Mets uh, last year or Walker Lockett. And now we got guys with more major league experience that it's not like a throwaway going in because as a fan that's the worst like, oh my god we to go eight runs today you know yeah against Granky, and you're like well, yeah exactly exactly so um i think there's know, a- i mean like when when degrom first came up i mean he was not degrom he was you know he was a guy who maybe will make the team you know he yeah. wasn't like it was all back then it was all um, matt harvey was matt harvey and then degrom became matt harvey you know? exactly so it was all about matt harvey and 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 Syndergaard obviously got more press because he's big and strong but um, but Degrom just got better and better and better, and you know Peterson could do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. Um, so I think you talked about too. Also, uh, so you did you want Bauer? Or what were your take on that? Obviously, he was more controversial, and the way that we missed him, it kind of felt like we were teased. That's kind of yeah. Bauer's uh, like mo, though. You know, he's very big into social media. You know, love it or hate it. There's 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 two sides to the guy. What are your thoughts on the Mets missing there? Well, I mean, just being competitive, I wanted, I'm like, screw it. I want him now. You know, like I was kind of like, we had him, you know, for two days, you know, but he could be a bust. I mean, every other year he's good, you know? And yeah, he was awesome last year, but it was 60 games, you know? Are you willing to stake 40 million on that? You know, at least for the first two years. He could say he could, he could screw up and do one bad Twitter and, and get all distracted. And he was a big, I mean, I didn't mind three, four years. But to give him like seven or eight, that's why he didn't get it, I don't think. Yeah. But, you know, it's he could be a bust. He could literally be a bust. Like, what's wrong with him this year? And, oh, my God. And then it's, then when you're making $40 million and you're two and five with a 4.8 ERA, it gets worse, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's – I mean, I, w- I would rather lock up DeGrom for more because I think he's a free agent after next year. He has an opt-out. Yeah, player option, yeah. Yeah, right. and get that, just take that away. And they say, listen, we'll give you another $5 million a year for another five years or something, or even 10 you know, because what embarrassment. I mean, Bauer's making almost double what the Grom yeah. would be making, you know. Right. There's a reason uh, not many players, I, I think he's actually the only one who gets $40 million a year. Uh, and the fact that before last year he wasn't even considered a top-five pitcher, I think it's kind of telling to the fact that the Dodgers threw money at him because they thought that their window, they know their window kind of is right now. Bellinger's becoming a free agent soon. They just paid bets. Kershaw's a free agent at the end of the year. So I think they wanted to kind of try to win one more while they had this great team that probably should have won at least one over the last three years prior. So uh, I think that's why he got that money. Do I think he's the best pitcher in baseball? Not even close. I think I'd definitely take uh, DeGrom over him. I would say is a 40% chance 
35. He's not even top 10 this year. Yeah. So I, for that kind of money, it should be slam dunk. I, I was on the same boat as you. I wanted him for the competitiveness for yeah. the on paper uh, One, rotation we would have. But uh, at the end of the day, like once I had some time to digest and kind of look back over it, I think it was better off that the Mets didn't pay him $40 million. Right. Right. Um, that being said, too, let's talk about biggest strengths and weaknesses you think this 2021 team has uh, for the Mets. What's uh, what's our biggest strength? Well, I, I think the bullpen is not so bad. I mean, again, mm-hmm. you know, I always this is, I've been doing this for my, my whole life as Mets fans. This is what we do. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Guy on paper. Right. And if yeah. you take his best year. Right. Oh my <laughs> God, go to bullpen, right. If Batances can have his best year again, if Amelia can have his closer year, if Diaz can be like when he was in Seattle, we got three elite closers right there, you know? Right. Um, then of course everything, you know, falls apart. You get one guy overachieves, three guys underachieve, but the bullpen, I don't think that having like the last week to catch up and watch a, a few games, it, it's on paper. It's pretty good. Yeah. You know, guys who want to prove themselves There's guys that want to make like Batances is still six foot eight last I checked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, he, and he still was an all-star a couple of years ago. Yeah. He, he worries me. I saw like, I mean, look, he only had, I think maybe one appearance in spring training. It's still so early and he did get touched up a little bit, yep. but he, you know, like you said, he's got experience. He could, there's no reason to believe that he couldn't come back, but I think with him and Familia, Familia's been so up and down, especially with his control. I mean, Familia has some of the nastiest stuff. I honestly think in the league, but he just can't throw strikes. If you see opposing teams approach, they just say, take the pit, like just wait, you know, and uh, he, he can't get balls in the strike. So, get another so much. I would, I would hate but, to catch him. I mean, his, his ball dives, you know, down the middle, then dives in on a righty. I mean, and they hit him. I'm like, I, I would be so afraid to, to catch him and hit against him. Uh, yeah. he, but he does, he's not lights out anymore. I mean, he would, he was, he was lights out for a little bit, you know, during our world series run and all. Yeah, well, his ball dances so much that he walks people. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's just there's a lot of question marks, um, you know, as there are in, in, in other spots. But I think for me, the, that's the biggest question mark for the team. Uh, I think is how their bullpen shapes up. Obviously, they're starting without Lugo for a little bit, but um, you know, he'll, he'll be back. Trevor May's a great addition. Aaron Loop looks good. Um, I think bullpen, and then of course defense. No DH yeah, hurts us. Exactly. Defense um, is, a, is a right behind that. Yep. We got on the left side, too, because now we're, we might look in a platoon with J.D. Davis and Luis Guillorme at third base. Obviously, Guillorme is a great defender, but you got to think Davis might start more games there. I don't know if they'll go full traditional righty-lefty platoon, probably put Guillorme in at the end of games. Um, but behind Davis, too, you got Dom Smith in left field. He can't sacrifice his bat. I mean, he could be a uh, you know top 10 hitter in the league, as That's he showed. 42 RBIs last year. 40. Yeah. 42 RBIs in a 60-game season. I mean yeah. – it's ridiculous. Even if, you know, and, and he didn't play every single inning of every single game. That's a lot of ribbies. I think you got to have that guy in, you know, every day. Um, but and you see the interview, he was hanging out with Barry Bonds. Yeah. Um, he had an interview with Bobby. Like he was hanging around with him like for, I don't know, mentorship or something. And I mean, he was the greatest left fielder ever. So hopefully he gave him some tips and uh, Barry Bonds told him, you know, if I'm not getting a hit today, nobody's getting a hit today. And that like so I'll make it up on defense. And so, you know, he's a, he's a good athlete now that he's thinner and all. So maybe he can uh, become average at left field. 
And I think we would take that. If you're average in left field with the plus war that he provides the plate, I think, um, I mean, that's a scary lineup that we have, right? Keep him in. And kind of on that note for mentorship, I saw in uh, uh, spring training, we had Lindor kind of talking to Davis, coaching him a bit. Uh, And that's something else people have been talking about with Lindor's range at shortstop and just the fielder that he is kind of takes a little pressure off Davis, at least ranging to his left. There's more of a, a smaller window that he has to cover and he's got a rocket arm. Um, but it's just more, you know, his fundamentals. Can he field balls that I think I'm more, I'm more worried about. Um, but also like, he's got a great bat and a right-handed bat, which is very important for this lineup. So, um, I'm still happy he's in, he's on the team. I was talking to Todd. Um, I guess, uh, I guess they were on the same team, but he wasn't playing third base at this time. JD Davis was at third and it was, it was a double play. It was, you know, a shot right to JD, like a rocket to JD Davis, one hop. And the second baseman wasn't there yet. And he hesitated and hesitated. Uh, and then he's like, he lobbed it over there and they only got one, you know? And I was, I was saying to Todd, I'm like, Todd, you would have just freaking gunned, you know, 95 miles an hour and you better be there. Cause that's the only way you get a double play, right? You gotta right. leave the second baseman. You gotta trust him. Yeah. yeah, and that comes from experience and, you know, and confidence. But that was like two years ago. You know, but um, but yeah, I mean, and then and you hope, you know, he's going to make his errors, but maybe it's hopefully when we're winning 10-3 and it doesn't really matter, you know. I'm surprisingly optimistic about the defense this year. I mean, the way I look at it is all these guys are super, super competitive guys. And the fact that half of their positions were up for grabs with rumors, whether it be free agency or trades this year, kind of lets them to believe they're a little bit expendable in the sense that they need to kind of shape up on defense or somebody else is going to replace them. I think Nimmo, you know, hearing about Springer all winter. Exactly. I think if you, if you don't think Brandon Nimmo was shagging fly uh, fly balls out as often as he could be JD Davis getting ground balls at third base as often as he could be. then I think that's foolish. I think these guys are going to come out and surprise everybody with their defensive prowess. And I'm not saying they're going to become like Nolan Arenado or like Willie Mays out in center and third, but I do think they're going to be playable. Yep. And, and, and having Lindor there, you know, and, and even DeGrom, I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going on day to day, but DeGrom, I mean, must have a huge influence on those young pitchers, mm-hmm. right? Just like this guy is freaking no nonsense, you know? And um, so Dom Smith, I, I don't know if you caught the game the other day, um, Dom Smith was getting, well, they, they interviewed Lindor when it was on ESPN the other day in, at the end of the dugout. Uh, and then they were interviewing Dominic Smith. And they were asking, so what's it like to have Francis, you know, Francisco Lindor as a teammate and all that? And he goes, you know, that Mr. Smile. And he goes, well, truthfully, I don't see him smiling that much because he's all business, right? He's like, you know, he's working hard, you know, and all that. Maybe during the games, you know, when we have more depth. But right now, I mean, he takes his craft very seriously, which is cool, you know. And But just it's rare that somebody is a superstar and doesn't take serious, you know, they take it super seriously. Like that, it's never happens. Well, it doesn't happen for long, you know, like Harvey, you know, maybe he didn't take it seriously enough. You know, he was out partying and he had all the talent in the world. So that's good to know. And so as a mentor, like you said, Lindor and and, um, JD Davis and DeGrom and any pitcher, like Peterson has to be, you know, you you get a a guy in his fifties telling him, you know, what to do, but there's nothing. If DeGrom says something, I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think on the pitching side of things, right. DeGrom's 
DeGrom's a great leader to look at. And then also to position side, we got uh, Lindor, our two best players on either side of the ball, right? I think it's great that we have guys who at the top of their craft, like have that kind of dedication that should, you know, kind of be contagious for the rest of the team, uh, set the mindset right. Because um, we had veteran leadership back in 2015 when we made our run in Kadire and Wright. Obviously, both weren't able to be on the field at all times. Uh, but we see even Conforto coming into his own. Uh, it seems uh, even Alonzo, obviously a very young player, uh, but he's respected. Like same thing with J.D. Davis. Honestly, I, I really like the attitude on this team. If you remember, there was a time when Terry Collins, even in 2015, was the coach. And he commented sometimes on, uh, you know, with the lack of effort that he saw on the team. We, we had a particular loss to the Diamondbacks. It was like 9-1 or 14-1, to uh, where it seemed like guys were kind of giving up. I feel like this team has so much heart. And how many times have you seen in 2019 and 2020 when we're down five, six runs and the guys don't give up and make a comeback? Granted, our bats are way much better than they were back in 2015. So we can actually make that happen. But I think it's uh, like Gary Cohen turned it the never die Mets. Um, and I think that's great. Like when we talked about, remember when Todd Frazier, I think this was in 2019, he hit that three run homer off Doolittle in the, in the bottom of the ninth against the Nats. And then yeah. Conforto hit the walk-off homer um, uh, to right field. Like that's a perfect example of these guys coming, not giving up playing to the final out. So like, I'm behind every one of these players. Uh, I'm enthusiastic to see development in center and third base. And I'm very excited, yeah, for the 2021 season. So, you know, I mean, just I always try to think about the player, you know, and the money, you know, the money on the table for a guy like Conforto. I mean, you know, take two years ago before he's still far from free agency and you have the chance between making like 15 million a year or 25 million a year. And it's in, Baseball is the most statistically followed sport of all time. So even though you're down 10-1, you know, it, you get up in the ninth inning, you want to hit. You want to get a hit. And even if it's just to pad your stats, you know, just, just you know, of course, you're always trying to get a hit and extend the game, but you're down by nine runs. But get a freaking hit and try to bat 301 instead of 296. It just looks so much better on your, on your baseball card. You know, mm -hmm. so I think the money that's dangled in front of them should be a motivator. But on the other side, if you sign a, you know, a 10 year, $300 million contract, it's like, well, you know, I'm going to take it easy. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind going 0 for 4 because I'm guaranteed to be paid. So, yeah, I think subconsciously or not, like that's definitely on players mind when they're in a contract year. So uh, I also think Conforto like could have a great year. I mean, you're looking at a team. We have many potential all-star players in Alonzo, McNeil, Smith, uh, Conforto, Nimmo. I mean, there's five guys right there, position players that I don't and think McCann. it's a stretch to say all five. Yeah. And McCann could be. Yeah. I mean, that's we're looking at six players. I mean, I can't. The last time we had that kind of talent on the Mets was 06, 07, you know, so uh, offensively at least. So really excited uh, to see what happens. Um, but that being said, I'd like to go on to uh, memories here because, you know, part of being a Mets fan too is having uh, very, very bad memories and also very, very good memories. And obviously makes the good memories much sweeter, but we've had a lot of heartbreak. Um, so we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but if we could get into your worst memories first and then we'll end on a high note. Okay. Well, my first one I was telling you was my 11th birthday. Um, June 15th is my birthday. So that used to be the trading deadline. Uh, now it's August 31st, a big difference. You know, it's like six weeks later, but June 15th was then I had a great day. I was 11, whatever. And I wake up the next morning cause it happened like 10 o'clock that night. Uh, Tom Seavers traded. And Dave Kingman was traded. He was the only guy who had a chance of hitting a home run. And 
it was 1977. The whole season was basically over. They just gave up. Seaver wanted, you know, wanted to renegotiate or something like that. And then people thought, no way you're going to trade Tom Seaver. There's no way, you know, the 69 World Series, all that stuff. And that was that predated me. Uh, and he was gone. And Dave Kingman, I don't don't quote me on this. He had like 12 home runs by June 15th. And he led the team that year. He left and no one else hit more than 12 the whole year. I think like two other guys had 12 also. That's how bad they were. So 77, 78, 79. And guess what happened in 77? The Yankees win the World Series. And in 78, the Yankees win the World Series. So I started out 11, 12, 13 behind the eight ball, you know, getting tortured <laughs> at, at you know, grammar school by all these yeah. Yankee fans. And uh, so that was a rough time. You know, people are like, why are you still a Mets fan? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think I've asked you that, too. And I'm sure you're in the minority. I know I was, at least, uh, growing up. A lot of my fans were Yankees fans. Obviously, they're just the better team. But what, what, uh, what led you to the Mets over the Yankees? My dad's from Brooklyn. Brooklyn Dodgers fan. Um, back in the 50s. And National League, National League, hate the Yankees. Uh, and then when they left, you, you, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't become a Yankee fan. I, I'm sure a lot of people did. Like the Dodgers and the Giants left. There was no other team in New York for like 59, 60, and 61. In 61, they won the World Series again. I mean, they were crushing it. Um, but he hated the Yankees. Uh, so oh, it just basically, and then when the Mets started, it was kind of cool. In 62, the Mets got a bunch of old Brooklyn Dodgers, right, to be on the team. They literally just wanted to draw a crowd. It was like the first time we had National League Baseball in years. Again, this is before I was born. But, um, you know, Gil Hodges is on the team. Yogi Berra is on the team. Like, you know, all these washed up players back then at like 36, 37, you were old, you know, because they don't yeah. have the training. And these guys were working in the offseason, selling cars and selling suits, you know, to make That's a living. Crazy. And um, and there was the laughable Mets. And then we talked about we were texting the other day, you and I, Ty, about um, opening day. Day, yeah. Mets have the best record in Major League history in opening day. And they started out 0-8. So they start out 0-8, and, and they still have recovered and won like 85% of the games ever since. I, I have a lot of respect for those early Mets fans to put up with those years when they first started, right? From 62 to whatever it was, 67, obviously when they got better, and then 69 when they won. Um, but, you know, that's that's tough early going, um, but but always great to see them start off hot. I think as Mets, we're kind of April optimists, as you said, too. So uh, hopefully that's uh, definitely the case now with, you know, the bullpen and the fielding. But um. Uh, we only have four minutes left, too, before the Zoom cuts. We're still on basic for the plan. But before we close, I'd like to have um, some of your favorite Mets memories of all time. Favorite Mets memories. Um, hmm, I got to think. I guess when Benny Ayala hit a home run, his first at bat in 1974. I know you don't know who he is, but um, he was uh, – I was. I remember – in 1974, the Mets like took a huge dive. They were in the World Series the year before, and now they're like like 20 games under. And I remember reading in the paper. So I was only like eight. No, how old was I? Uh, yeah, I was eight years old. And I in my it said Benny, I, my father was saying today's his first game. It's like a Tuesday, left field. Two guys got hurt. They rushed him up to just fill in. And my dad was explaining how hard it is to make the major leagues. Like what a big deal this must be for that guy. Right. Just, you know, and no reason to watch the game. It was because you know, they were so, it was like in August, I'm watching it on Wednesday night or something. And he gets up his first at bat, batting seventh and he hits a home run. 
And I was so excited for him, you know, that he hit a home run. His first at bat, he joined this elite group of, you know, major league hitters who hit a home. He wasn't really a home run hitter. He hit like 35 home runs in his career. Um, and then I, so that was really, really cool. And I'm bouncing off the walls, excited. I had like three friends at, in my grade that actually cared, you know, Benny Ayala. Yeah. And I never forgot the name. And because um, it sounds like Benny Agbayani. But yeah, that's who I was thinking of when you no, said Benny that. Yeah. And if you Google yeah. it, the story's there. Uh, yeah. At the time, 30-something, 40-something years ago, the, the, the number of guys who had a home run their first day ever was even smaller. Um, but uh, but Kaz Matsui did it, too. Yeah, and you know, a uh, name that comes to mind for me is Mike Jacobs. You might not remember him. Mike he was Jacob, the... And Mike Fitzgerald, too. Oh, okay. There's a bunch of cats who did it, yep. Yeah, I remember I had kind of the same. I think I was nine or 10 when Jake, maybe even younger, when Jacobs hit that home run at Shea over the right field fence. And I was so excited. I thought we found like the next David Wright. Uh, obviously, you know, it didn't pen out that way. I think we traded him to the Marlins, but. Uh, for, yeah, for Delgado. For Delgado? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I'd take that. Um, Someday I'll yeah. tell you the story about Delgado. That's, we should have had Delgado the year before. And he went to the Marlins for one year did like 35, 125 because um, Omar Minaya uh, pissed him off because uh, there was the, when he was a free agent, they sat down and Omar Minaya started speaking Spanish. Right. And Delgado was like, you know, what are you trying to kiss my butt? And he signed with the Marlins for like 50% the first year. And all the big numbers were later on in his career. And then we took them and we could have used them the year before, like Oh five, I think it was Oh four. It, it would have been yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, I think that's all the time we have, um, necessitated by the zoom call, but, uh, Joe, thanks so much for uh, joining the call. It's a pleasure as always. We hope to have you on in the future. Um, and yeah, thanks so much, man. If you're ever down in DC, give us a ring or, uh, you know, if you're talking to Todd or, uh, Jim Brewer, let us know. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to get those guys off for you. Absolutely. That'd be great. Well, all, all right, right, Joe. Be good. Go, Mets. Thanks. Go. go Mets, baby. Take care. <laughs> you too.